gosh. Welcome to Spill the Bubble Tea. I'm Andrea James Louie, and this is Adam Lynn. Today we're here to talk about <laughs> Pop Tips 101 for beginners. Yay! Cheers! So, how do you know when you're ready to compete for the first time? It's a bit like asking, how do you know oh, when you're girl. ready to lose your virginity? <laughs> literally, literally. Um, you never know. I mean, like... I guess you gotta try it to understand it, just to, to know it. I guess. All right, that's it. You I gotta have a couple the, hours of foreplay before you dive into it. Uh, yeah, a few months, a few years of foreplay, and then you can get into it. How many months of foreplay did you have before you popped your cherry? Oh, ten months. Ten months. Yeah, yeah. I think I was. I was in maybe like my first year as well. <gasps> that's pretty what? early for both of that's us, right? Early. I don't recommend mm. this for, for everybody whatsoever. Uh -uh. I think it's because uh -uh. No. we both had a background in, in like physical things and performance mm. things. So it was less of a, a leap. Yeah. And we have people around us that were too hopeful, too positive. <laughs> that pushed it into it. Very supportive. Well, <laughs> oh, very too supportive. Which is Wait, too, do you feel like it was too early for you? Oh, I think so. It was way too early for my body. I was doing pole so much. Like, literally, the first week I tried pole, I'm like, oh, this is it. I went there literally at least four days a week. And in the third week, my elbow started to hurt. Like, now, I'm, like, hurting so much right now. It's literally the same pain that I have since the third week I started pole. It's been 10 years now. It's such a lesson that your early in injuries linger with you. So it's very, very important that you take things slow and steady. Mm -hmm. I think for me, because I had a martial arts background and I had dabbled a little bit in some circus, like in some aerial silks and stuff like that. So when I started pole dancing, it wasn't such a shock to my body. Uh, I've always had mm -hmm. more upper body than lower body strength just from I don't know, maybe it's mm -hmm. genetic. But my first competition was a real roller coaster because I choreographed something. I went into a studio, I filmed it, I took it home, watched it back, wasn't happy with it. So I went back to the studio on another day and I refilmed my entry video. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I still wasn't happy with it, but I was like, I need to submit it. I, you're never happy with anything you do. Well, no, sometimes mm -hmm. you are, but especially in the early years, you're never happy with anything. So then I submitted yeah. it. I didn't get in. And so then because I was first timer and I was, it was so early in my career, I was really craving feedback. So I emailed the organizers and I said, Hey, thank you. Would you mind sending me some feedback on how I can improve in the future so I can submit next year or, you know, submit for other things. And they messaged me back and they said, actually, you were only like 0.5 a point. You're like half a point off from qualifying so just mm -hmm. come and and do it and compete so I was like yes they let oh, me in nice. and it, it's one of those lessons where it's like my parents always raised us if you don't ask you don't get so I was like so glad that oh, I asked yes yes um, such a good lesson yeah. so so this was the semi-pro division because I think back then there weren't a lot of amateur competitions so it was like you just mm. do semi-pro. And so because I won the state championships, I qualified to get to the, the Canadian national championship. The national. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. But instead, I decided to go back to Australia. So I forfeited oh. my position. And, and so as a result, I've never competed in Canada on a national level. That's actually the only competition mm -hmm. I've ever done in Canada. Um, and then mm -hmm. I went back to Australia and then I did pole and aerial rising stars. 
I think it was their first ever yes. year. And that's the first one I saw you. The first ever, like, first were time you I there? You, honestly, you uh, were at... what routine did you do? What I did, Flash Gordon. Flash, that's crazy. I... What but... year was that though? That was 2013. Yeah, because I qualified oh, for the Canadian same, Nationals yeah. in 2013. Yeah, so what happened was, I think the Ontario comp was maybe in August, and then finals in Canada were like November or something, but I decided to go back to Australia instead, and then I did Rising Stars, which is like around October, November. But this was my okay, first no, time competing in Australia. You weren't there. Mm. Maybe, oh, okay. No, okay. but I saw you yeah, at I, the, I the following one oh okay okay the because one what you I did the did... sailor moon and do the swearing song oh i'm on a boat i'm on a motherfucking boat yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was my 21st birthday treat what oh my god <laughs> to that see was... rising star yeah that was one of my favorite routines um but rising stars Back then, it was my first time competing in Australia, and that was supposed to be an Australian competition, and it was supposed to be for Australian mm-hmm. residents. And so because this was before yeah. I had my PR, and nobody knew who I was, so I just didn't speak to anybody, because I was like, I don't want anyone to know that I'm Canadian. <gasps> and then oh. I came, oh my God. I, I placed, I got a sash. I can't remember what I placed, but I got a sash, and so I was like, oh. Don't say anything to anyone. Controversial. And then I remember afterwards, Fontaine came backstage because she had been coaching me. And she had got the card that they announced the winner on. She gave me the card. And then Kaneta from Pole Divas saw her talking to me and was like, oh, she's one of yours. And Fontaine was like, yep, she's mine. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm Fontaine's. Oh, that's so cute. So that's your first comp in australia i mean rising star is a big comp so that's impressive yeah it was really cool and what i really loved about that comp was that um i remember the judging panel there were a variety of people on the panel who were not just pole dancers because i remember really specifically yes yeah Mm. i and so i liked having that feedback from other communities Mm, that's really good my early comp experiences were really, really positive. Because, you know, I was all bread-eyed wow, and bushy-tailed, and I didn't know anything about anything. And I was just like, wee, I'm here to party. Yeah, the, we were like that when we first started. You know, you just want to get involved. You just want to be there. Yeah, so you want to be involved. Exciting. Sometimes I really long for that innocence or, like, that that uh, mm-hmm. naivety of – I don't mean naivety in a, in a bad way. I mean, like, that bright-eyed, no, yeah. bushy-tailed – um yeah, yeah. i think that's what a lot of people are now that's why they enter competition so early you know they want to be doing something exciting they want to be part of it they want to be involved you know be like yeah you know i'm training for this comp you know what i mean yeah when i came to australia and and decided that i was going to start competing it was kind of as a replacement for doing theater and acting and stuff like that because i knew that i was sort of leaving behind hmm. Uh, a performance career in Canada so I kind of thought this is a really cool way to still get on stage and still create things uh, and still have have a good time so I think I had a really clear reason for competing that had Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the competition I just wanted to perform and I was really proud of yeah 
of what I had been learning in pole classes. That's good. That's good. I think I started competing because same reasons that I want to perform. Because before that, I was a street dancer dancer. I always perform in groups, never solo. So it was just like, okay, I really want to just do whatever I want. So with all the you know encouragement from the studios and the other people, they were like, yeah, you should stop. And I was like, I literally just. I have only been doing pole for 10 months. They were like, no, this men's only comp called Mr. Pole, Mr. Pole Dance that you should enter. So that's the, my very first one that I entered. Um, it was a disaster. But, it was, uh, disaster in what way? I put up a whole routine. Oh, it's just like disaster in a way that every time when you look back to something that you did in the past, you know, it's disaster. Yeah. It's funny how, like, I hear this from a lot of people when they look back at their early videos and they feel like it was a disaster. Um, I have the opposite. I look back at my early videos and I was like, whoa, I had so much potential. What did I, what did I do with that potential? (laughs) I'm like, did I do enough with that potential? I mean, I'm sort of hit and miss. When I look back on my old videos, the thing that is clear is that, yeah, I had a, a large baseline of strength and flexibility, mm. but what I've gotten better at over the years is just more presence of mind on stage where I'm not so worried about the tricks mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I can be more focused on mm-hmm. just dancing. And I, I think that's one thing that you cannot prepare in advance. You can't practice no. being good on stage until you've been on stage and then you'll get better at mm-hmm. being on stage. So I know some people they feel like they need to have everything and like be at a certain level before they get on stage. But sometimes you just got to throw yourself in the deep end and see what happens. I mean, yes, if you're safe, physically can do that. Yeah, exactly. You got to be safe because, you know, like competitions will ruin your body. Okay. No matter how careful you are in some way, it's still going to do damage to your body because all the repetitive movement, all the stress they put on your body, all that kind of stuff, it's just going to, you know, your body's going to start deteriorating. But you can slow it down by getting stronger first, have all your basics done, all your really strong foundation, then you can tap into it slowly and then see how you go. Yeah, I think there's a, so much merit to what you say, especially about the repetition. Uh, because I always say, you know, you want to put the things that you're best at in your performances. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you are only doing your good side everything and you're only doing the yeah. splits that you're good at and you know the back bends that you're good at and the strength moves that are on your strong shoulder, but you have to be training your gumby side on the off season. You have to be training the mm-hmm. oppositional movement. You have to be doing so much pushing to counteract all of the pulling that you do in pole. Mm-hmm. Um, And if you don't do that maintenance in the off season, uh, then yeah, your body will get fucked pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, what we should do, we should do uh, just for fun. It's not a competition. We should challenge each other. Actually, also the listener as well. Why don't you go and create a one minute routine all on your bare side? (gasps) Oh my God, that is such a cruel challenge. Okay. I love it. Head roll on the bad side, handspring on the bad side, invert on the bad side, climb on the bad side, and split on the bad side, everything on the bad side. How about that? How about that? We need a hashtag for it. Bad side routine. Bad romance. No, bad side routine. Bad. <laughs> yeah, Everyone's I think, I don't know. Like, all these things give us. 
we're gonna put in a vote what should we call this and then will you participate in this challenge i think you should but do yes. it safely please Best. that'll be fun that'll be fun um okay all right once you've decided that you are ready to compete mm -hmm. how, how soon do you need to start training what is the ideal amount to start training for you i from the experience i had i will say once you can it depends on the competition level that you're going for um i really do not suggest beginner to compete because they're just not ready so yes it's great to get on stage but, it, but then like you're putting your body into stress that it's not ready for i mean like if you're going on a stage and literally just flopping around doing floor work that's fine i mean that's great that's getting like experience on the stage being seeing on the stage being on the spotlight but if you're gonna do like tricks and stuff i just feel like it's dangerous unless you have repeat your beginner course three times i guess that you're so strong when i said that it means you would need to be able to do your beginner move perfectly okay your back knee spin has to be effortless okay your chest spin effortless you know there'll be no sliding no nothing you know that's how you know you are ready for a comp like a beginner comp i think this is true of every level that yeah, whatever skill you're putting on stage should be effortless um mm -hmm. so even if you are competing at a higher level of tricks you don't want to be putting tricks that are beyond your skill level i i find a lot of students they work so hard to learn something that's hard for them so mm -hmm. that they can put it on stage but what they don't understand is that the audience doesn't know that that was hard for you and if you put yeah. it on stage while it is still hard for you then they'll just feel uncomfortable watching you struggle but if you really mm -hmm. worked hard to make something effortless we won't know the difference between what was effortless you for you to begin with and what you had to work really hard to achieve now so it's up to you mm -hmm. what effortless things you want to put on stage by the time you have achieved them but for example there are some freaks out there who effortlessly achieved rainbow marchenko but we don't know the difference oh, yeah. between them and the people who worked really hard for it do you know what i mean mm -hmm. um yeah. so you know if you can get by doing a leg hang without inverting then just do it we'll think you're really creative for getting there in a different way so you don't have to struggle mm -hmm. on stage in fact we don't want to see yes. you on stage no matter what skill exactly. tricks you're doing exactly. exactly but in terms you know, of people, uh we all mm -hmm. no you go you go i forgot it now. <laughs> <laughs> my brain is half dead now. i don't remember <laughs> Well, I was I was going to say about um, so people who are still doing beginner level tricks, there are competitions out there where you can perform and get that stage experience without the emphasis being on tricks. So you never want to get on stage mm -hmm. and reveal your weaknesses, not for a pole dance competition. No. So you can do floor work based competitions and you can do dance based competitions. Uh, so just because you're not at a high level of pole tricks, there are still other places you can get on stage and perform. So you can get that stage mm -hmm. time, you can work on musicality, flow, all those other things that are super important in addition to tricks. Mm. I mean, there are a lot of studios, including the studio I teach at, they have block courses. So every week eight, so usually block courses goes for eight weeks. 
the last week they will do a performance on the whole routine that you learn in the eight weeks. And I think that's a really great experience because, you know, studio showcase, studio competitions, usually there are people you already know. So you're going to be comfortable performing for them. Um, it's a great place to start. Also, it's free. Also, you don't need extra preparation because you're already learning the quarry or doing your preparation in that eight weeks. So it's a good place to start. So if you your studios that have courses like that, I think it's great to, you know, join that and participate. I actually love that course structure. And when I first started pole dancing, uh, some of the courses I did were eight week choreography. And by the end of it, you know, you have a full three minute routine that you perform with your classmates and you invite family and friends and stuff like that. But I feel like we transitioned through this period and maybe it was just the studios that I was teaching at. But we transitioned through this period where choreography classes were a different choreography every single class. And mm. it put a lot of pressure on the teachers to be constantly churning out new Corey and new Corey. But mm -hmm. it also, I mean, it challenged the students to pick it up really, really quickly. But it removed mm -hmm. that opportunity to build up the stamina to, to perform to a song that is tricks as well as choreography, as well as bass work. And I'm mm -hmm. starting to see, and maybe it's just because I move cities again, but I'm starting to see more studios are doing that eight week structure again, where there is a performance yeah. at the end and a full routine. Because I think for, it's beneficial for so many things. It forces repetition. So you have to commit to certain sequences and practice those sequences. And it teaches you stamina and well, it forces you to gain stamina. And it teaches you like memory, how to learn and retain and all that kind of stuff. And you need these things for performing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think, but these are only for people who want to go and perform and compete. You know, there are people that literally just want to do pole for fun. They don't want to do that. And that's fine. You know, you still learn the quarry, but you don't have to perform or go and compete. So this is just for people who want to compete and perform. Yeah, I think that in a similar way with teaching, people feel like there's this logical progression of like, you go through beginner, intermediate, advanced, and then you become a teacher, you become a competitor. And people think that those are kind of the only two branches. But no, you can just train because you love it, because you mm -hmm. like posting on Instagram, or because you like doing cool stuff, or you like doing photo shoots, or you like being able to brag to your nieces and nephews that you do really cool activities mm -hmm. <laughs> but like I think c competition doesn't have to be for everybody it shouldn't be expected mm. that that's why you're training yeah exactly you know a lot of time when you make like conversation in studios like hey how are you going what are you doing for this term blah 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 I was like oh there's a calm do you want to enter and then she don't really like, know I don't feel like you know for me and then the people will be like Oh, why not? You'd be so good at it. I mean, it's good. It's encouraging, supportive. But a lot of times, like, people don't just don't want to do it. So we don't necessarily have to push people to do something they don't want to do, especially putting themselves on the stage, you know? Yeah, I guess you got to find that line between giving support and encouragement and peer pressure. Because <laughs> yeah. it is a fine line and it really depends on the person. So you have to develop this sort of perception. Mm -hmm. Um to see whether or not the response that somebody is giving you is like mm. how they actually feel. Cause you know, some people just struggle to say no in any circumstances. Yeah. Uh, Me. And so you, 
Do you struggle to say no? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I struggle a lot in my whole life, but I've been learning to say no. And that was inspired by you because you say no to everything. Me? <laughs> you told me that. You told me that. You said your mom said no. But that's oh, how you are. Yeah, my, my mom. <laughs> Certain life lessons from my mom that have been really key. Uh, one of them is, well, you don't ask, you don't get. But that, what yep. goes hand in hand with... I learned that recently ask, as well. Get. Love that. Yeah. But the other side of that is it has to be okay to say no. Because this yeah. idea of you don't ask, you don't get, if you're like that, but everyone around you is afraid to say no, then you'll get everything yeah. you want, but it'll be at the expense of everyone exactly. around you. So this lesson is paired with, you must be allowed to say no when you want to, because we're going to mm -hmm. ask, and especially I'm staying at my sister's house, she is the queen of asking for what she wants because she used to work in fundraising. Mm. Asking people for money is like one of the hardest things to God. do. But for people who struggle to say no, you can really get taken advantage of. So you got to have some clear boundaries. Mm. You're allowed to yeah. say no. Say, say no to everything by Andrea James Louis. That's her new book. <laughs> Actually, okay, this is a total tangent, but I was just really proud of my brother-in-law <laughs> oh my god what if you watch mm -hmm. so the other day I'm sitting at the dinner table with my nephew and my niece and my nephew tried to take some popcorn out of her dish and she screamed and so my brother-in-law comes in and is like what's happening here like can you please stop screaming and she's like he tried to take my popcorn he tried to take my food but instead of yelling at her for screaming which yes was an overreaction he sort of redirected it to my nephew and said, hey, if you're doing something that's making your sister scream, can you just stop immediately? And then we'll deal with the reaction mm. after. But the first step is if if you're making somebody scream, you must stop immediately. And my sister yeah. and I have had lengthy conversations about how, yes, as a parent, it's really inconvenient when your kids scream like that. But... Mm. no one's ever gonna mess with my niece because she is not afraid to scream no at the top of her lungs <laughs> mm -hmm. i love um, that though we should not yeah we don't take that from her take away from her yeah how do we bring this back to competition competition 101 uh yeah say no <laughs> say no actually in a coaching scenario because i do want to talk about how co competing and coaching goes hand in hand if your coach is asking you to do something that you're not comfortable with or you don't feel safe or you don't feel is achievable within the time that you have to put it on stage, say no. Because I've seen so many new performers waste time trying to perfect their fonji four weeks out from performing. Just say no. Why would you do that? No. And you know, sometimes coaches they lose sight, right? They lose sight of what mm. is reasonable and they start asking all sorts of mm -hmm. outlandish things. So you got to be comfortable saying mm. no because otherwise your coach doesn't know what's within your capacity. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's that fine line between encouraging and peer pressuring. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm starting to get brain dead. You're starting to get brain dead. This whole, this whole episode was me just telling random stories. <laughs> I love it. Competition 101. <laughs> Tell me about your first competition. So my first competition was Mr. Pole Dance 2014. 
So that was 10 months after I started pole. I, yeah, I went there and did the competition. I was 18, no nothing, literally. And then I just, routine together. I was trained by Maria Kostia, my favorite person in the world. She competed in Rising Star with you, I remember. She competed in All-Star, Pole and Aerial All-Stars. Yeah. She's silent. It was like the first half of her routine was breathing. The one minute, the first one minute was silent. It was uh, by Pomelo, no, Pomelo, <laughs> Pomelo face, Paloma. <laughs> Pomelo, like oh a big God. citrus Happy, head. Happy, Happy Pomelo. Festival. <laughs> no, you are, yeah, it was her song, Agony or something. Anyway, she did a fucking routine. Like the first one minute was silent. It was so good. So I was really lucky to be trained by her. For my first ever Mr. Pole Dance routine because I was told by Travis Scott uh, and he was really good for Maria so he introduced Maria to me and she just like become my mom she was that she was so strict so yell at your face but that's just how I need to be trained but probably not for everyone because that was my first you know competition I wouldn't suggest that for, for com- competitor but you know I, I need some tough love so yeah literally I, I went to her back Backflip, backflip, backflip. I was like, I can't even backflip. What do you mean? But then I was just doing backflip all the time. Um, so yeah, she helped me to put a routine together. Um, then I went on Mr. Paul and did that routine, and I got chosen by Chili, Chili Showboy. Yeah, that was Yay. my first one. And the next year, I went back and won the competition. Amazing. That was yeah, but that was a lot because again, like my body was hurting a lot. Um because I was clearly not physically ready, but mentally I was ready because, you know, I wanted it. So, you know, your mind can do a lot of things. So once you use your mind to push through that, then you can do it. But again, it's not, we, are, we don't advise for that. You know? Yeah, getting that brain and body in sync is, is mm. definitely important because, you know, when you have a dream, and you'll be like, oh, I just woke up from a dream where I was doing Fonji 360s on a 10-meter pole. But it's like it's a dream for a reason because your mind thinks you're mm. capable, but your body is like, no, thank you, no. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now, like, dreams like that just become less and less. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I still have a lot of belief like I my mind and body they're starting to get in sync because I went through this phase where I was like oh maybe I'm never gonna achieve that level of flexibility again that I had you know years gone by but my niece has been making me stretch with her and I think I'm mm. gonna get my feet on my head again you heard it here Foot that you being delusional no I actually think it'll be possible I had injuries and surgery and then uh, so but I think I'm ready I'm ready Knock on wood. Okay, good. Got to be slow yeah. and steady. Knock no peer pressure. Wood. Exactly. Slow and steady. No peer. I'm not going to pressure you. I'm, I'll be like, support. Andrea, let's not stretch. Let's just sit down and bubble. No, no, we need support and encouragement, but not peer pressure. <laughs> okay. Fine. Fine. That's the theme of today's episode. Yeah, literally. Literally. Because, I again, like back to like how people or beginner, they feel like they want to be involved so they will enter competition to feel like they're being part of it or feel important in that um which is not a bad thing it's not a bad thing you know but you know, I will you gotta say know for, body first. 
for people who like to be involved and you want to be a part of the community, there are actually so many ways to be involved in the community that don't necessarily mean getting on stage yourself. So if you're somebody who loves pole dancing, but you don't want to compete or you don't feel ready to compete, it takes so much work to put on a show or to put on an event. Mm. And I guarantee that studio owners and event organizers would welcome assistance in any way, whether it's ushering audience members or helping backstage or side stage or, you know, helping with props or gift bags or anything like that. There's so much to do all the time. Yeah. So the takeaway from this episode is that if you're a beginner and you want to get into competition, what we suggest you is that if your studio offer a eight weeks course that comes with the performers, do that and do that a few times, you know, until you're so confident you're, you can do it effortless in every routine. And I think that is a sign for you to be like, yeah, I think I'm ready. And also by the time you get to do everything effortlessly in that level, you are probably ready to pro progress to the next level. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's a absolutely. good indication. Yeah. And if your studio doesn't offer that style of course, you can request it or you can yeah, gather exactly. your classmates. Most studios are like, if you can get a group of five or six people and say like, hey, we would love to have this course structure. I've already recruited the minimum number of students you need to run it. Please give us an eight week course mm -hmm. where we learn a, a full routine. And then yeah, even if you don't have a friends and family party, you could just film it. Exactly. Again, like if you don't ask, you probably will never get it. But if you ask, there's a chance you can get it. That's yeah. another takeaway, girl. You don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> yeah, and say no to everything. Have a right bag. All right, oh so we're going to wrap this up. So thank you guys for joining us in this episode. I hope you got, you know, something useful out of this um, episode. And make sure you check out our previous one. Thank you so much. And cheers. We'll see you guys in the next podcast or on the Spilled Bubble Tea After Dark YouTube channel. Sayonara. Bye-bye. Abiento. Spill the tea.